With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Welcome back to this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. It's part two of the chat with Dougie Brown. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their continued support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. But you've not tuned back in to hear me talking. you tune tuned back in to hear the second part of my chat with Dougie Brown, the former Warwickshire and England and Scotland all-rounder. It's that Badger style. Good friend of mine. I used to play a lot of golf with him and... Uh, Whenever you got to a hole where there was water and there's maybe a stretch of water just in front of the green, you had to chip it over the water to get to the green. He always found it. and But you'd listen to him talking as he walked up to the ball and you'd be expecting himself to find that water. And he did. Yeah. Because all he was looking at was the yeah. water. He wasn't looking at the green. And I think that, that yeah. kind of, that's a bit of a, an illustration of what fear of failure is, isn't it? If you're only looking at the water, the chances are you're going to actually put your ball in the water. If you're looking at the green and the pin, you might actually get it up there. Yeah, I think a lot. It's the easiest thing in the world to talk about, but it's the hardest thing to do because actually, if you don't physically believe in what you're trying to tell yourself, yeah. or you're going to let uh, whatever the outcome is affect you negatively, then the the talk that you've given to yourself is not going to resonate. It's not going to be sort of worthwhile chat with yourself anyway. You have to believe in what your conversation to yourself is. You have to believe that it doesn't affect you like it. If you talk about it, but you don't quite believe it, then it, it's, it's not going to work, you know, because of the mismatch with your chat and, and how you react to your outcomes. And I, I was just, I, I got to the stage where I was actually really at one with any outcome. I knew I couldn't do it all the time. I knew I couldn't overcome the situation all of the time because cricket's a game, but it's not a static ball and a static target like golf. You know, the ball moves and somebody on a different, on a given day can be better than you. And then you have to accept that. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I, it certainly worked for me. 
I'm going back to this golfer, a golfer friend of mine who played in the European Tour. I sort of explained the, the whole thing and we played golf and he was playing in a tournament and I, I, I said to him, did you use it? I said, he said, yeah, I did, yeah. I said, what happened? He said, I hit it in the water. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> it obviously didn't work. But for me, it did work. And sport is about finding a way to, to make things work for you. Yeah. Your strategy there of, um, you know, is this going to change my life? It doesn't mean that you're not going to be disappointed if you get out for a duck, does it? It just means oh, that having that absolutely. mindset gives you every chance of maybe not getting out for a duck. And that's exactly right. And that's that you're spot on. You know, you're still disappointed with yourself, and you can still make it make a mess of it, and you can still, you know, go away, you know, really angry with yourself and that sort of stuff. But actually, you're not letting it affect your psychology, and and then starting to doubt yourself. And that's the thing, because sport is about is about dealing with doubt. It is about fear of failure is massive in every sportsman, and I defy anybody to tell you that it's not. It, it, it is, of course, it is, and it doesn't matter who you are. Some people are better at dealing it, at, at dealing with it than others, for sure. But I just didn't let it affect me. I, you know, I was quite thick-skinned, and that maybe came from my upbringing and how I came into the game and that sort of stuff, and the things that I had to kind of deal with every part of my career and so on and so forth. So, you know, I might it just my grounding might have been a little bit easier for me to deal with it in that way. Um, but you've got to find a way, you know, you've got to find what works for you. And people who have a career in the game probably worked out what works for them and what doesn't. Who was your cricket hero when you were a kid? Was there a, a cricketer on the uh, the wall of a young Dougie Brown? No, it was Beefy. I mean, Beefy was a legend. I was sort of, so I'd have been, what, 1982-83, probably starting to play cricket. Obviously, he's on the back of 81 Ashes and all that sort of stuff. So, for me, he was he was just God, you know. He was a, he was just somebody that we all had, all aspired to be and if you're playing cricket in the nets or you're in the street or whatever it was that was that was who it was you know everybody wanted to be that person everyone wanted to be Ian Botham and you know I was no different I just thought it was amazing you know that somebody could be sort of almost like a a larger than the sport type character and yet still manage to get his sport right and and still manage to to perform etc etc but I did I did quite like all the, the sort of all-rounders at that stage. And I, I thought Richard Hadley was, was amazing as well because just, you know, he was like, his bowling was kind of poetry in motion. Forget his batting for now, just uh, I loved his bowling and I thought that was pretty amazing as well. But cricketing hero is definitely being both I saw a, a, a young, well, I was going to say young lad, um, middle-aged man come up to Ian Botham at Headingley one day and said, you're the reason that I... I've loved cricket all my life because he was basically referring back to that 1981 summer. And I think there's quite a few people around the country who were turned on by cricket and have never left cricket because of Botham's ashes. Yeah. He, he was massive to, for the game, wasn't he? Huge, you know, for the same reason as um, Flintoff, Peterson, yeah. Stokes. Know, ben Stokes yeah. now. Same thing, you know, sportsmen, they realise that they've got a duty to, to promote the game and their custodians and all that sort of stuff. But they're going to pass through and they've got a duty to the sport to actually make it a compelling sport and make it something that if you are at the top of your game in, in global terms, then what you do can have such an, a knock-on effect, both positive and negative, to, to those who are watching you and those that, those that aspire to be like you. So, yeah, both of them, you know, at that era, absolutely, and, and latterly probably someone like Ben Stokes or, or Virat Kohli or any of the, the world, Steve Smith in Australia, you know, any of these guys who are at the top end of the game, you know, I'm sure if you go in, in 20 years' time um, and ask you know, the current crop of international players or, or first-class players who it was that inspired you, I'm sure you know, the names I've just mentioned will be quite high on the list. 
I'll tell you what, um, Dougie, if in England there isn't a, in 20 years' time, somebody referring back to last summer, the World Cup win in the Ashes, then something's wrong with the sport and cricket has no chance because, uh, you know, there, there were yeah. people all over the country being excited by that. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing. The Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look. And give them a follow on Twitter at TV Sports Blog. If you could trade lives with any current cricketer for a day, you can live in their skin, feel what it's like to be them, have their skills and talent. Who would you pick? There'd be a couple. Um, probably Zurich Kohli, just because it's India, and in India you are he is just a god. Uh, he's an amazing player, very sort of different type player to some of the other top batters in the world. You know. But just amazing. It would be amazing just to experience it. I don't know if I'd want his life because, you know, he's just under scrutiny all the time. I've, I've often um, thought that, Dougie, and but, the, 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 quite a few people have given Virat Kohli as an answer. And I, I've always wondered, and it'll probably yeah. never happen, but if I, if I ever have Virat Kohli on the Cricket Badger podcast and I ask him that question, he'll probably say Fred Smith from a local cricket club down the road or something that yeah, just yeah. has no yeah, pressure absolutely. on him whatsoever. Absolutely right. You know, it's, it's, it's a funny kind of life, you know, because you're such, you're held in such high regard. There, there are constantly millions of people to, uh, hanging off you, you know, every move. And that's, that's hard, you know, dealing with that. At some stage, you're going to, you do crack and you end up doing something you probably wouldn't ordinarily do, but you're just under scrutiny all the time. The, the other one I would love to be is, is Steve Smith. And that's for a different reason because both brilliant batters, you know, top two batters in the world, call it what you may, but, both very different in what they do and I, I just love to kind of get into the brains the cricket and brains just for a period of time just to understand what it, what they're thinking and yeah. um, you know Steve Smith is a very sort of unusual technique and especially when he starts to get all his movements done and all that sort of stuff and he's funny leaves but I think I, I would just I'd love to be in his head to just to work out what he's thinking at, at any given moment the fundamentals of batting he does really well you know so his fundamentals are almost identical to very Coley's at the moment of release. But how he gets to that moment of release are, are very different. And it'd just be interesting to unpick the, the mind and just understand how they're processing the information that's in front of them. Yeah, for me, that would be, that'd be really exciting as, as somebody who, who loves the game. It, it would be fascinating, wouldn't it, if you could put them side by side and, and stick them up to a lie detector or something to be in, ensure honesty and ask them all of the all of the questions that we've got in our heads and just to see what makes them tick and to see what they how they think because they do seem to me to be quite different people although they're massively talented Steve Smith is quite peculiar in a way he just kind of lives and breathes cricket he's shadow bats in the hallway mm. he, he's shadow bats in the shower he never thinks about anything else um, Virat Kohli seems a little bit more chilled about that but then when he's on the pitch he's 100, 100% and yeah, heart on his yeah. sleeve kind of guy isn't he? Totally it would be fascinating uh, I'd, I'd love to be you know, just to get a, a moment in their brains and just to work out what they're thinking. I'm going to put you, Dougie Brown, in charge of world cricket for a day. Your name's on the door, you've got the big chair, you've got all the power in the world. What would you change about the game to make it better? I would open it up to to more countries. So take money out of it and that sort of stuff and the politics of, you know, the, the big three getting all the cricket and all that sort of stuff. I think what I would do, first of all, is I'd make the World Cup open to, to more teams. Um, the best thing for me, the best tournament in the world for me is the FA Cup because it gives all the every single football team in England the opportunity to go and you know compete against the, the top teams uh, in the country and there's always a little 
success story. You know, some some little team gets a chance to play against Manchester United, you know, away, and you know that's unbelievable. They, they dine out in that for the rest of their life. For me, cricket is exactly the same. I don't think that the World Cup, for argument's sake, should be a ten-team tournament. I think it should be open to many more teams than that. So, so maybe fourteen or sixteen teams to give the opportunity for the game to be spread around the globe like it's supposed to be at that level. Um, so I would open it up. You know, they want to have a, a Champions Trophy. Have a Champions Trophy with 10 teams, but make the World Cup, which is the pinnacle of one-day cricket, open to, to every team who is capable of qualifying for that, whether it's 14 or 16. I think it's, it's a great spectacle. Sure, you get a few mismatches, but actually you can get mismatches you know, full member against full member. That happens as well. And I just think it's with regards to the game, I think it's a great it's a great story. It's a great sell and it's just a shame that, that doesn't happen currently. So if I was in charge I would be doing that straight away. Hundred percent agree. And I think it's really obvious what happened in the in terms of the structure of last year's World Cup. Cracking event and I really enjoyed watching it. But I think we missed yeah, you go back down the years and the Scotland's, the Ireland's, the Kenyas, the Canada's and yeah, all of those kind of teams that came in. And you mentioned the FA Cup there about it's the hopes and dreams, isn't it? And giving some cricketers that maybe not quite are a little bit on the periphery of test status, giving them the chance to shine yeah. on the world stage. Because every country, um, I mean, Afghanistan's proved it as they've come through. You know, they've got the Rashid Khan who's become a world star. You know, in the affiliate mm-hmm. nations, they've got they've got stars like that, haven't they? That never get a chance to shine. Exactly. You know, there's there's a number of Sandy Lamachani from Nepal. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing in the Big Bash, playing IPL. There's some really good players, and I think it just makes it a fantastic spectacle. You know, so somebody as a as a neutral, so, so say for argument's sake, you you want to watch a World Cup game and it's uh, Nepal against Australia, you would watch it because you like cricket and you actually want to see Nepal actually putting on a show against Australia and potentially doing something that nobody's expecting them to do. And these sort of things happen all the time. You know, teams get themselves into position, maybe that. They, they could be able to, to compete. And then over the course of the duration of the game, the better team always comes out and top. And, but it's a romantic story and it's a great story. And I think it's brilliant for the game. Uh, you know, you're just an example. I would watch games like that. And I know that there are probably tens of thousands of people around the world that would watch games like that and, and not feel embarrassed about the fact that they're watching you know, teams that are maybe ranked 15 places away from each other. I just think it's great for the game. I think it, it creates romance and it gives you know players who are competing in associate cricket the opportunity to stand toe-to-toe with the best players in the world. Surely that has to be for the betterment of, of world cricket. I'm hoping that COVID-19, I mean, you, you mentioned right at the start of your answer about you know, ignoring money. I mean, you can't do. And the reason the World Cup was structured like it was was largely down to money because the, they wanted India and England and Australia on the TV as many times as possible mm. throughout that tournament. And if you start to then divide it into four groups of four or something like that, you only you potentially get India going out, only playing a handful of games, don't you? So the, you can see why they did it. But if you do everything because of money, you do lose that romantic story, don't you? You lose the fairy tales. You lose the chance to give these countries. And if you, if you are the ICC and you are saying, we want to grow the world game, it's all right talking that talk. We've got to walk the walk and the proof's in the pudding. And at the moment, everything's condensing rather than expanding. I mean, there's a way you can do it. You could, you could almost open up to 18 teams and have three groups of six. 
mm. and everyone plays each other once in a round robin, and then it goes into a super, you know, super nines or whatever it is, and you get then you get India playing a single in Australia. So you get all the you get all the games. You know, it, the the tournament won't last any longer. There'll be the same amount of games, and what you do ensure by having a a slightly larger uh, round robin group, you know, so maybe five or six in the group, is you make sure that you know if somebody does have a a strange result against a minor side, there's still adequate time to, to make it up against the other teams. Yeah. I, I know why the ICC did it, and it goes back to 2007 World Cup in the West Indies, when after the round-robin stages, both India and Pakistan were out. And that clearly is a huge uh, revenue spinner for, for the global game. So we all understand the the concerns around revenue and, and where it sits in, in world cricket. But actually, these sort of results, these sort of things could be avoided and you could still get the romantic stories you can still get the best teams playing against the best teams without it taking six weeks seven eight weeks to you know to finish a tournament start to finish if you had the chance to write yourself a letter you'd mentioned earlier that uh, that young Dougie Brown when he was 13 and just starting to discover cricket if you could write to him now knowing what you know now what uh, advice Mm. would you give him Uh, you know what I actually I don't think it changed an awful lot Um, I, I think I would do a lot of the stuff that I did, you know, I think the, the one thing that I would do, and I know if I had my career again now, I, I definitely, as disciplined as I was, I would probably just change the way I prepared slightly and I would definitely upskill myself to a higher level. And a bit like what the game, the demands of the game are now. I think the demands of the game back then when I was playing and that sort of era, the attention to detail when it came to skill was not, where it is at at the moment and I think uh, we're the best world in the world you know everybody's a product of an environment and although I had you know attributes that were probably at the top end of of that environment I still think I could have pushed them further and further and actually probably got a better result you know I look back at my career and think well I've done okay but I've done okay I, w- I would love to look back and say you know well I've done even better you know I'd probably still look back haven't done better and say I've done okay you know that's my character, but you know, I think I would have given given myself more chance to dominate situations than I did, just by preparing just slightly differently uh, and having a bit more focus on the out or the, the process around the skills. Therefore, to affect the outcome of the skill a little bit more positively. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you talk a lot about being determined and driven and focused and you know, really kind of on the ball when it comes to dealing with your career as you went through it. Was there ever a time where you felt you were too too focused and too driven and maybe missed out on other stuff? Or was that, did you have to do nah. that to get where you went, where you got to? I, look, I, yeah, we're all certain types of people, aren't we? I just felt I needed to do that because I thought my starting point was so far behind everybody else's. Cricket wasn't a, a gigantic sport in the part of Scotland that I, came, I grew up in. But I knew that if I was going to compete with my peers in a, in a professional environment, I had to try and, I tried to try and be better than them. So I would look and see who my competition was. I'd watch to see how they were training, what how they were doing. And I'd, if I saw them doing this, I would go and do that. And I would just do it, you know, for longer or, or with better intensity or with a bit more skill, whatever. And that was just me. It was just me. It was my way of just making sure that to the best of my ability at the time, I, I managed to prepare well. I think, with the power of hindsight and knowing what I know now, I definitely would have prepared differently. Mm. But at the time, it was about looking to see what everybody else was doing and just trying to be a bit better than how they were doing it. Because I knew that 
they were more skillful players and they had more experience at that level than I had at that moment in time. Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateout.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate, slateapp.co.uk. If you could have been famous doing something completely different, not cricket, what would you have chosen to do? I'd love to have been a golfer. I'd love to have been, I still would love to be a golfer. Not good enough, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it just the whole thing just appeals. I would love to be be able to do that and be on the tour and go and play golf. And I just I just think it's a pretty cool cool way to to do your stuff. Let's be honest, cricket's a pretty cool way to do it as well. You know, I think uh, a cricket ground's a, a pretty amazing office, and there's a lot of people who would love to give anything to be in an office like that every day. And I know I, I know how fortunate I was to have a career and still be part of the career that um, that is my office. But yeah, golf would be amazing. The other thing as well, you know, you look back to 85 and you watch Live Aid and stuff and you see all these mega stars of, of you know the music industry standing up there and doing that I think that would have been pretty cool as well if you're part of a part of a band and you could stand up there and, and do what you do to and be part of something as special as, as what that so either be a, be a musician which I was never going to be um, or a golfer which I was never going to be but <laughs> there you go there's the answers <laughs> Have you watched Bohemian Rhapsody? I take it you have from your answer with Live Aid. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's yeah. a it's a great film actually. I really enjoyed that. I watched it a couple of times. But that that end sequence, there's a thing on YouTube where you can actually they show you the original alongside the film yeah. and how close they got yeah. it. It was incredible. It was amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. Really, it was brilliant. I mean, that that would be amazing standing up there and just having the whole sort of audience in the palm of your hand. Yeah, a bit like something like Freddie Mercury did, and and a number of other um, acts the same sort of thing just phenomenal skill and incredible ability if you could meet anybody living or dead who would you like to meet it's a really good question i i don't know there's a probably probably a number that i would i would like to i'd like to meet someone like nelson mandela would be would be up there neil armstrong like, that'd be pretty cool you know people who are sort of instrumental in changing the world Churchill would be it'd be quite interesting yeah there's a, there's a whole bunch of historical figures that would be amazing. I'd love to go back to sort of the like the, the, the dark ages or, you know, go back to the 13th, 14th century and just kind of see what life was like back then. You know, if you, I don't know, so maybe William Wallace, like, that'd be quite, yeah. that'd be quite an interesting, uh, interesting conversation. But, um, well, there, there yeah, is, there so is any, a question any, that comes up later, Dougie, which is if you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Would that, that would be your answer to that? Yeah, one, I'd probably would it? go there. Yeah. That, yeah. I'd, I'd definitely go back to that. that that's, you know, being Scottish and stuff, and the old Braveheart thing—that's um, you know—it's it's quite a cool story, as fictional as it is. You know, it'd still be quite nice to to go back to that time. Obviously, it'd be a fairly brutal existence, but but actually experiencing it and and seeing what it was actually like would be really interesting, and hopefully that would help to define your future, wouldn't it? Who would play you? They're going to make Dougie Brown the movie. Who would play uh, you in that movie? Is, there is nobody in, in the world of acting that would want to play me in a movie. I promise you, <laughs> it's, uh, there is nobody that you know. That I, I was thinking about that. I'd like to say you know Robert De Niro or something, somebody pretty cool. And nah, no, it's not. It's not happening. Probably, probably someone like Mister Blobby or something. That would be. Uh, <laughs> that's probably probably more where it is going. But certainly none of the 
none of the major actors, that's for sure. Dougie Brown, the movie, coming to a cinema near you, starring Mr Blobby. I yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can, I can see it being a, a massive hit, that. What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Are you a nervous kind of fella? Uh, not really, not really. I, I kind of mentioned that. The, I, the last thing, the, there's lots of times when you are particularly sitting waiting to go out and bat in a game of cricket that you feel nervous. And for whatever reason, you know, it's just a natural thing. It's, uh, and you're sitting there waiting, you know, you know that if, if, you, if you get in, then you need to try and, you know, influence the game straight away and all that. And you do get a bit nervous, but, a lot, a lot um, of those kind of nerves are, they're like, it's anticipation, isn't it? It's, it's kind of it is. half looking forward to it. It's yeah. anticipation. It's, it's that kind of stuff. It's the, it's the adrenaline flowing. It, it is. And then the minute you sort of, you know, go out and bat and you, you feel, you know, you feel the ball and the bat and, and all of a sudden that sort of adrenaline then flushes through you. You feel, you feel fine. Yeah. It's just, it's your nervous anticipation before that. But I think, I, I've, I've kind of mentioned that that was going back to the, my first ball final in 1995 so running into ball on the first ball of the match that was the only time I can physically remember not being in control of what I was about to do because I was so nervous did that, did that uh, not happen to you again did that uh, because some I mean, of you obviously nah. played for England you've made, you made uh, you know played big big games since then so I mean did that never happen yeah. again just that once nah nah because it's that at that stage, that was the biggest thing that ever happened to me. And I, yeah. Although you go and you you know you play in big environments, uh, you know play in different situations and perceived to be bigger and bigger. For me, this was the biggest thing I'd ever done. It probably is because it was the magnitude of something from where I was to where that situation was. So the magnitude from from what I thought the jump was from where I was, just as a you know a young lad kind of making his way in the game to opening the bowling a lot swing on in front of a, a full house was probably the biggest jump I've ever been in. By the time you, you then play for England, you actually, although you're still keen to know that you can actually compete at that level, the distance between where your current game is and where you're playing is probably not as big as what it was playing in that Lord's final. So the nerves um, around that were probably, well, they were definitely much greater than what they ever were when I, when I played international cricket. Yeah, I get that answer. I, mean, I, I asked Tim Bresnan once in a similar interview to this, what, what was it like to bowl your first ball for England? And he said, it was all right. He kind of shrugged his shoulders. It was all right. I just trusted that I, was, I could do it because I'd done it so many times before. And mm. I was, I, from my layman's perspective, I heard his answer and I thought, I don't quite get that because surely, you know, this is something, something you dreamed about forever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, your answer yeah. kind of fills in the gaps a little bit that, you know, because you've already had big moments and you've already made big debuts, it's, yeah. it's another one in, in, a, in, a, in a series of them, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that's right. I think it's just the, the perceived jump in standard and I think that creates doubt in your head and when you're you know when, when you're a youngster making your way you don't really have the coping mechanism to deal with that jump even though it's not that much of a jump it's just a it's a perception around where your game is at and where it where it needs to be and, and that, I think that's what makes it a nervy experience. What's the top item on your bucket list things to do before you die what's number one? I want to I still want to do a, a parachute jump never done it my daughter, she did it, and here actually jumped over the palm in, in Dubai, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. And I would still love to do that. Yeah, definitely, definitely love to do that before uh, before uh, I'm too old, which is is creeping up pretty quickly. Are you a morning or a night person? Definitely morning. Yeah, you get you get past nine o'clock at night here, and I'm just useless. So yeah, morning, you know, up bright and early, most beautiful part of the day. The great thing is about in in Dubai, the sun generally always comes up, so. 
you can watch it coming up and it's just a lovely time to be awake and, and sort of ready to face the day. So very always have been somebody who loves the morning, you know, useless when I get tired. Yeah, and I get tired. <laughs> I get tired really early. So morning for me. On a scale of one to ten, ten is the Fonz, the coolest man in the world. Where are you on that spectrum of coolness? Three, yeah, uh, on a whole bunch of levels. I would like to think I was higher than that, but nah, I'm not. That's where um, you put yourself. Nah, I, yeah, I just, I'm not that cool. No, I'll be, I'll be honest. Try, you try to be, but you just, uh, when you're not and you try to be, you just end up looking stupid. But when, you, and, when, uh, when you're not and you try to be, you end up just getting even less cool, don't you? That's exactly it. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm not, I wouldn't even try to be cool. It's like, it's not cool to try to be cool when you're not, and that's me. Oh, I'm, I'm in that camp as well. I'm with you, Dougie. If you could live anywhere in the world, and this is obviously you're living in a different part of the world at the moment. You're in Dubai. You've obviously mm. come from Scotland. You've lived in England as well. You've seen the sunshine. You've followed the sun doing the cricket and everything like that. If you could have another house somewhere else in the world, where would you pick? In New Zealand, I think. I think my wife's a Kiwi, and um, I love New Zealand. I've been there. I've played, played cricket out there. Love the country. Love the people. Uh, it's just absolutely stunning. Obviously, it's quite far away, and that's the thing It sort of, I guess it's restrictive to many people, but you know, when your family is from that neck of the woods, then then it, it makes a bit of sense. So at the moment, we love being in and around the UAE, around Dubai, in the Middle East. Very different to Scotland, you know, for obvious reasons. You know, it's, it's boiling hot. Perfect place for somebody with ginger Scottish skin, you know, <laughs> when it's fifty degrees outside. But it's, it's just different to what what it is growing up in in Scotland, particularly. But again, New Zealand would be would be lovely at some stage. Perhaps, so, but yeah, definitely New Zealand. Is that where you met your wife when you were playing cricket in, in New Zealand? Or no, uh, no, no, no. Her um, her brother in law, former brother in law, was um, my great batch. My oh, right, okay. my coach at Warwickshire. Yeah. Right. So yeah, so we met that way. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I'm a bit a bit of a sort of order freak. I'm, I'm a bit OCD when it comes to things and places. My wife is completely the opposite to that. And it, it drives them mad when, when I get a little bit OCD around, okay, you know, like keeping things in order. I think it helps as well when you, you know, when you kind of put things in a box and not literally in a box, but when everything's got a place and that sort of stuff. I think it helps you certain parts of your career. I think... Um, it can sometimes hinder you as well. But yeah, definitely, I would, I'd like to be a little bit less that way, but it's just my makeup and, and unfortunately, that's kind of way the, the way I am. But I would like to maybe be a bit less so. When I saw you in Abu Dhabi, we had breakfast one morning in the hotel, didn't we, I think? And the, you were out there on your own. You were, you were basically, you'd camped down in that hotel. You were just kind of starting time in, in the UAE and wondering what was around the corner because your job, the UAE national team, wasn't a permanent one at the time. And your mm. your your missus was back in the UK, wasn't she? I mean, how she found it coming out to you? Has that kind of completed the jigsaw almost, having the, the family with you now? Yeah, I mean, they, they moved out um, sort of, it was like this time of the year, three years ago, where it was actually... They moved out in July, which I know if you've ever been to Dubai in July, it is just the hottest thing in the world. It's, you know, high forties every well, single day. I've got si- shade, I've, I've got similar colour skin to yours. I think so. I, I think I should avoid yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a it's a hard place to live for for three months of the year. This is a really it's a really difficult place to live because it's just so hot. You do get used to it, and it's, it's so you come to terms with it and stuff like that, and it doesn't stop you from going outside. But when you first get thrust that thrust upon you is, and I remember we, you know, so it's great that the, the, you know, she's here, the kids are here. This is this is home, you know. It's it's we all love it here. It's a very safe place to be. The the dogs found it a bit difficult. You know, we've got a couple of big dogs, and they came out from a sort of, you know, the 
UK summer, but obviously it's nowhere near like this. And away from the fact that they, you know, they love seeing us, the minute they went outside, it was just they just looked at like us. <laughs> After burning the paws in the concrete, they jumped on the grass and it was like, well, still burning my paws. What have you actually brought us to here? <laughs> it's like, it was like, please, please tell us we're going back to the UK. <laughs> but they, again, everybody just gets used to it. But um, yeah, we, we love it. And, um, you know, we're really keen to, to continue this. Well, question number 19, Dougie, is what will you be doing in 10 years' time? Will you still be there in Dubai or will you have moved on from there? I'm not sure, uh, James. I, I, to be fair, I, I would like to think maybe we are. You know, I guess a lot depends on, you know, what's around the corner and, and what we end up doing and so on and so forth. But we, you need to have a base somewhere. You know, we've got parents in the UK and parents in, in New Zealand. So it's like, well, we're somewhere in the middle, you know. <laughs> so for now, it's, it's a great base. I don't know. Ten years is a hell hell of a long time. I'm just busy, sort of trying to trying to sort out the next stages of, of what we're doing, and that's going to be here, you know. So hopefully that that's going to be successful, and and we can look back in ten years time and and think, well, actually, yeah, we're still here and we're still you know being successful doing what we're doing. But actually, do I have any sort of burning desire to do anything that I'm not currently doing? No, I don't. I'm I'm really happy doing what I'm doing and and what the next stage looks like. So I'd be really happy in ten years' time to turn around and say, actually, you know, what what we're currently looking to do has been a been a, a massive success, and we've enjoyed every minute of it. And and what is that? What are you looking to do? What is the next? Stage? Yeah, so we, yeah, just in the process of of setting up a a business out here uh, with my business partner, and um, it's it's involved in sport and the provision of sport to the population. You know, I think I was pretty lucky as a young as a young guy to get an opportunity that otherwise wouldn't normally have been afforded to me and I think there's a number of people here in the UAE that probably in a similar position you know they might be um, children of expats whether they're from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, UK, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, whatever or you know expats make up a a massive uh, a massive part of the population here. I think there's probably a whole host of people who have kids who without the the correct or a decent provision for support for them would probably miss out on on opportunities. And I think one of the things that we're going to try and do is create opportunities for people, not just in cricket and other sports, but I guess primarily cricket. Uh, And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the essence of what what we're doing. And hopefully, you know, given the the situation, you know, hopefully the the current sort of COVID-19 situation decides to to go away for a period of time, we can be up and running and get things sorted out for September. I think that's quite exciting, isn't it? After being immersed in cricket, coaching and playing cricket and what have you, it's something a little bit different to get your teeth into? Yeah, it's something I've always kind of, you know, it's sort of like the coaching and development aspect of, of cricket, as well as the high performance aspect of it. There's a number of opportunities here to do that type of thing. And it's always something that I've been quite interested in doing. So actually having something that you can call your own, uh, working for yourself in conjunction with a, with somebody else, but we're the ones in charge of making a success of it. Um, that's a different, it's a different sort of, a different feel to something. It's a bit, a bit scary at the same time because, you know, you're not, you're not getting a salary every month mm-hmm. from somebody else. You're, you're having to create a salary for yourself. Try, Gary, try but, being a freelance sports journalist when there's no sport <laughs> being played. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. No, I can't imagine. I can, I can, but I can only imagine. Um, so, you know, I get that. And it's, you know, so it's in the same sort of position, really. But I think you base everything on what you know and, and what you know them, what you know of the, the market in this area, which, you know, having been here for sort of three and a half years, you start to understand what, 
could be and what it needs, etc. So, you know, it's, it's really exciting. Again, you know, we're just kind of trying to get to the point whereby everything's set up and everyone's ready to go come September. But, you know, we're hoping that's going to be the case. But if it is the case, then, you know, it'll be a really exciting time for us. Good luck with that. Yeah, I wish you all the best with that. That sounds, sounds really exciting, that, uh, Dougie, to get your teeth into something completely new. And as you said, it's, it's a very interesting kind of part of the world, Dubai, isn't it? Because it is uh, so much going on there, but so new at the same time. And as you say, people from all over the place kind of go there to seek their fortune in a way so that, yeah, there's potentially rich pickings there I guess yeah it's not the streets are not lined with gold like everybody thinks it is you know yeah, it's tax free yes but you know you kind of pay your taxes in different ways you know it's it's an expensive place to live as as you know but you know it's a brilliant place we we love it it's, it's such a such a good place and for where we're at as a family at the moment it's it's really good great opportunities for for youngsters which you know clearly you know that's something that, that interests us you know there's you can go and you can go and um ski in the morning and then go and swim in the in the sea in the <laughs> afternoon you know it's, it's yeah. like that and that's kind of what we do you know it's it's a great place to to go and and grow up if maybe a little bit too safe because it's probably not quite reflective of of the world so that's something we've got to think about as well we've got to just toughen the kids up a little bit and actually open their eyes to what the world actually is and it's you're a little bit closeted here because it is such a safe environment and which is one of the reasons why we actually like it so much it's uh, the only place in the world that i've ever been in the back of a taxi pulled up at traffic lights looked to my left seen this uh, four before with a tiger looking out of the back window at me it was uh, <laughs> you get some very strange things in dubai as well you know, every, everything has to be bigger yeah. and people have tigers for pets it's uh, <laughs> wow that's that's amazing i've heard of it i've never seen them but i've heard I've heard about it. We've come to question number 20, and thanks very much for joining me on the Cricket Badger podcast today, Dougie. It's good to catch up with you as well. And if you'd been picking these questions, what would you have asked yourself to be to get a great and exclusive answer? Great and exclusive answer. So I was thinking about this. And do you know what? I actually, I, I don't don't actually know. I'm, I'm just, there you go, see, on, on the cool front, I'm definitely, see, I'm, I'm actually maybe thinking of downgrading myself there too, because <laughs> I can't actually think of what, What's going to give anybody massive amount of interest from, from me <laughs> other than the questions you've asked me? A great and exclusive answer. Come on, just ask me another question that's, that's easier than that one. Come on. Well, Are you asking me a question you want an answer to? Because I, I can't think of, I'll, I'll, I can't think of, of I'll, one I'll, that's going to float anybody's boat. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you question number 20 again then. Dougie Brown, to, okay. fi- to finish off with, have you got anything interesting to tell us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, well, it's, this is all, you know when you do when you do um, kind of guess who it is. Or you're in a room, and you're playing a game or something like that. You got to put something <laughs> down about yourself, uh, and then people are going to work out who it is, sort of thing. And my my kind of go to is that um, I, you know you put out it, and my my go to is my mum was in prison for 25 years, and that's my go to. Um, <laughs> she wasn't she didn't actually commit any crimes. She she was a, a, a governor of a prison in in Scotland, and that was that's my go to. So yeah. Again, well, on the cool stakes, um, I'm downgrading myself from a three to a two. <laughs> but it's a good job that your mum did that because you've gone to it again <laughs> for question, the answer to question number 20. Um, it, it has been brilliant to catch up with you and I hope that everything goes well with your, your new ventures out there in Dubai and uh, all your family are happy and stuff out there. You don't get singed in the uh, in the summer and uh, that you, uh, <laughs> you, you, stay, you stay good. And, uh, hopefully I'll see you again soon, but I've, I don't think I've got any reason to come out to Dubai for the foreseeable and uh, there's no air travel at the moment, but so that might be some time yet. But uh, yeah, th- th- thanks for joining me. Pleasure, mate. Anytime. And make sure you look me 
up. When you are in this neck of the woods, make sure you look me up. We'll, we'll have a catch up. We can go tiger hunting. <laughs> yeah. In, in a car, not not not, not, not in the not in a, <laughs> yeah. not in some way that's going to offend Kevin Peterson or something, but in a in a car in the, yeah. the back of a taxi. I, it just, <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't seem quite right. Driving down Shakespeare Road where there's a thousand cars every fifty meters. Uh, and one of them got a tiger on it. Seems a bit strange, but I, hey, it, it was, is Dubai and anything's possible. It was one of those where I, I, I you know, you, you kind of see on the comedy program so many double takes, and it always looks a little bit forced. But yeah. I literally did that. I kind of looked out to my left, looked back into the into the cab, and then thought, "What did I just say there?" And I had to look back again. This tiger was just staring <laughs> at me. It was just bizarre. It really uh, was bizarre. Are you sure you were sober? <laughs> I know I definitely was. Well, you know, I'm at beard costs out in 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 Dubai. There's not many times I've been really drunk there. <laughs> It's that Badger style. Thank you very much to Dougie Brown for his time on the Cricket Badger podcast. Really good bloke, and hopefully you enjoyed that chat as much as I did. Knowledgeable, passionate about the game, and I wish Dougie all the best post-COVID with his sports coaching initiatives out there in the UAE. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Please give them a follow on Twitter, at tvsportsblog. And there are plenty of podcasts just around the corner. This isn't a podcast just for lockdown. This is a podcast that will continue into the future. I know we've picked up quite a few new listeners during lockdown, but stay with us, because podcasts are great there are some fantastic ones out there and hopefully you're enjoying what the cricket badger podcast is bringing to the table in terms of audio entertainment cricket is back hurrah i've been waiting so long for that i've been sat in my flat thinking please give me some cricket and finally 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 it's coming back to our tv screens so we'll be talking about the england this is west indies test series very soon indeed going to be joined by cookie patel with a fielding masterclass podcast and there are plenty of other podcasts coming your way very soon indeed Please like and subscribe the Cricket Badger podcast. Leave a nice comment on whatever platform you listen to it on. And give us a follow on Twitter as well, at cricket underscore badger. Your listens have been massively appreciated over the last few weeks as you've kept me sane during a global pandemic. And hopefully you've enjoyed the listen too. I've been James and I'll see you next time when we bring you another great edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.